You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, so we're going to keep going in our new series, and this series is going to be more like a Bible study, which is kind of tricky for virtual, but we are going to uh, do that nonetheless. So if you have your Bibles, you'll need it and turn to the book of Acts chapter 2, and if you have version, please go ahead and click that. If you don't remember how to do that, what you do is you open up version, you hit the More tab down at the bottom right corner, and then you click the Events and then you'll see Williamsburg Christian Church. Click it, and then I encourage you to go ahead and click save in the top right corner of your phone, and that way you will have it. We're calling this message The Fellowship of Difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T-S. I get that from Scott McKnight's book called Fellowship of Difference. I think the title is clever, um, but it's also true. Now, I said we're going to get into Philemon, and we will get into Philemon Um, But we need to look at two more things before we do that. Today we need to look at the book of Acts, and then next week we need to think about baptismal identity. We're going to touch that today, and that's going to ground our conversation in this notion of unity and this idea that there there are the gifts, these differences that we receive are gifts, these differences that we possess are gifts, and then unity is the grace of receiving those gifts of difference. All right, so here we are. Acts chapter 2. Like I said last week, we live in this moment where cries of unity are heard from many different places, especially when we think about national unity. And, and, and it's okay. We want unity rather than division. We, we want this, this togetherness. We're, we're tired of the discomfort and the disruption of the disunity that we feel. But the problem with that is that we want it instead of division, when really unity is the outcome of something else. We want unity because we don't like what we have. We don't like what we feel. But if we were to commit to something greater than unity, like in the biblical, in the Christian tradition, it would be love, then we would find that unity happens. And what I find interesting, and you may have noticed this too, is that the same folks who cry for national unity are the same folks who in the next breath or tweet, or Facebook post, when they're in front of a mic, dehumanize the other person or other party, or dehumanize those with whom they disagree. But the minute a line in the sand is drawn, and they find themselves on the edge of discomfort and disruption, that's when they cry for unity. And as a people of Jesus, we must discern what people mean when they say unity. And I'm going to quote Beth Moore again because I'm with her when she said, if unity means never exposing to the light or calling to question, ongoing wrongdoing or malfunction, we may be unified in something, but it's not Christ. Loyalty to him trumps every other loyalty. I say this for love's sake. Loyalty to Jesus above all others is for all our sakes. Christianity offers a unity that lasts, and it's the kind of unity that we hunger for. And so the question of this series ultimately is, how does a Christian whose loyalty and allegiance is pled, has been pledged solely to Jesus as Lord and King, how do we pursue unity in a society that shouts 
for unity? How do we even understand it? Unity becomes the, the outcome of practical actions of love. Unity happens when a church is committed to something other than unity and is committed to what produces it. Unity comes when we pursue this life of humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, which is to suffer long, to bear with one another. That's when the Holy Spirit of God produces unity, and that's why we're calling it the grace of unity, because the Spirit wants unity more than we want unity, but unfortunately, the Spirit wants us to love more than we sometimes want to love. But if we submit to the Spirit's way, we will see what we desire come forth out of the life of God's people. Now, before we get into Acts, I want to make one observation, and I even heard a song the other day on, on um, Christian radio. I don't normally listen to Christian radio, but I happen to be listening um, and reminded me why I don't listen to Christian radio. But this song was asking all of us to set our differences aside, and I, and I appreciate the notion of setting differences aside, but that doesn't produce unity. That's avoidance. When we embrace the differences, when we receive them as the gifts they are, and we learn to submit them to the Lordship of Jesus, something beautiful happens that is actually sustainable. Setting differences aside is not the answer. Placing differences in the center is not the answer either. But submitting those differences to the Lordship of Christ that work among a diverse group of people, that's at least going to get us closer to the answer. God, as creator, does not work toward preservation. He works toward transformation. God does not want uniformity in spite of differences. God wants unity in the midst of the differences. And that's a different thing altogether. So, Acts chapter 2. So, in Acts chapter 2, we know what's going on. We see how the church is born on the day of Pentecost, as a fellowship of difference and a community of diversity. There's this unity expressed in equality and equity in the midst of ethnic, gender, and socioeconomic diversity through the outpouring of the Spirit on all people. You see that in Acts chapter 2, right there at the very beginning. And all of this is grounded in their baptismal identity. God clearly has a different kind of unity in mind than we do. And so we can't expect unity to come from uniformity or the limitation of differences, not if we read Acts chapter 2. So let's pick up at verse 5. So pay, let's pay close attention to the text. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men <clears throat> excuse me, and women from every nation under heaven. You see that? From every nation. When this sound, which was the sound of the rushing wind and the fire of the tongues coming down on the, on the, on the disciples... A crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hear our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, uh, Arabs, we hear them speaking the magnificent acts of God in our own languages. Now, here's what I want you to see, is there were people from all over the place, <clears throat> from Africa, 
from the realm of from Asia Minor, from, from Rome. They were all over the place. So you had Romans and you had Greeks, you had, you had Arab-speaking people, uh, you had people speaking in their own dialects uh, from, from Egypt and from Mesopotamia and from Cappadocia and from Pamphylia. All of these different people with probably different shades of skin uh, adorning their beautiful bodies. All of these different cultures and customs that come from living in different places. So you have different ethnicities, nationalities, you have different, what we might call today, races. I am certain you had different classes of people all coming together. And look at what happens as they are confused with what's taking place as to how they're hearing this message in their own tongue. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 16. But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. In other words, I'm going to tell you what you're seeing. And he explains to them that they're not drunk, you know, since it's only 9 a.m. And that what they're hearing was actually spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel. Verse 17. And here's the quote. And it will be in the last days says God, which we're in now, that I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. All right, make a note. Not just sons, but sons and daughters will prophesy. What does prophesy mean? Speak on God's behalf. Daughters will speak on God's behalf. Women will speak on God's behalf. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. In a society where the young are considered naive, maybe in a society where the old are considered done, the Spirit of God says young and old will still play a purpose and power in the kingdom. Verse 18, I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days, and they will prophesy. So not just males and females generically, but even slaves, even enslaved people, people marginalized, oppressed, set aside, dehumanized, demeaned, devalued, even those people will be empowered to speak on God's behalf. Come on now, can you see the disruption and destabilization? of society that the Holy Spirit of God is provoking in the church. Because it's a whole different kind of unity, beloved. Verse 19, I'll display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below and blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and remarkable day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Beloved, when the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost... God disrupted the way society was organized. It disrupted society's so-called stability and uniformity. The social classes, the ethnicities and nationalities and genders, along with the institutions, practices, systems, cultures, and laws that try to manage these things are no longer primary in the kingdom of God. They will exist and they still matter, but they are no longer primary. Some, like race, ethnicity, nationality, and gender, are just going to be secondary. Some of these social categories will be done away with altogether. And in all cases, 
these markers, these identity markers, are outside of the church's control. The Spirit's outpouring now includes sons and daughters to speak on God's behalf in a patriarchal, male-centered, male-managed world where women in this day lacked socially the same rights and privileges of men. And historically, we aren't too far from that day here. Yet our women and our sisters weren't given a voice because of a poor reading of Pentecost. Young and old in a society where leadership was reserved for elders will now be giving, given a platform of leadership as they dream dreams and have visions. Enslaved males and females, those oppressed and without social and economic equity and equality will also be given a place to speak on God's behalf. I mean, this is just, can you see the kind of society Yahweh wants? This is the kind of society that the Christ, our Jesus, our Lord wants to produce in God's people. Can you see the equity and inclusion and equality and the embracing of the differences and the placing the differences in submission? No longer could a church say, oh, you're just a woman, you can't speak. No longer could a church say, oh, you're just a slave, you can't speak, even though that's what the church has done. I'm about to come out my seat. Even though that is the way we have been, that is not the way God desires it to be. And so what we've done is we've said, well, I want unity, so everybody just needs to be quiet. Don't disrupt. We need to make sure we manage the categories so that we can have categories and control the situation in the church so that there aren't too many voices given so that we aren't disrupted by our way of life that we want to remain comfortable. We certainly live in a society right now where we're trying to even pass laws so that people, particularly white people, can be comfortable about the history that we have as a society and that is the opposite we used to say in the pulpit and preachers that you want to comfort the afflicted and what afflict the comfortable because the holy spirit is not interested in maintaining the status quo beloved holy spirit wants to create a new kind of society where we can be honest with the story where we can be honest with the categories of control that exist outside of the church and submit them to Jesus, even if we have to dismantle them too. Are you with me? This is why we have to give voice to these things. The Spirit of God disrupts our way of life, even if at times it feels destabilized. But for what end? To restabilize it and to do so in line with God's kingdom, in line with God's rule expressed in how we live in our world, which is to love one another, to love. Thus, Holy Spirit led reorganizing has to happen among us so that the old norms. And the old affections and the old beliefs are re-examined in light of the new ones that have come to us when we placed faith in Jesus Christ. Since the church is not separate from the world, we must live in it in a different way. Everywhere we walk is holy ground now. 
Because we are God's holy people, God's holy nation, and we have been made new and given victory as God's reborn, unified people. Beloved, God has given us victory. God has made it possible for us to experience unity. He's just waiting for me and you to walk in it. And we cannot walk in it if we are grasping for false forms of unity. The call of unity is a call to a shared life. Like what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and then later in chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. If you will, look at it for me. Look at it with me. If life is to be shared in light of the Spirit of God who is at work disrupting our false beliefs, that unity comes through some form of control or managed uniformity, then we have to rethink how we see differences. And it has to look like something. So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So here's the outcome of everything we just read. The outcome of this unity in the midst of differences and this new kind of humanity. So what they do? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common, meaning they said, what is mine is yours and yours is mine. This is ours. We is bigger than me. Now that's what that means. Verse 45, and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Beloved, that's unity. Verse 46, every day. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day, the Lord added to them those who were being saved. For the early church, unity will not happen if the we is not bigger than me. The differences among us reflected in our skin color nationalities, genders, jobs, bank accounts, and street addresses should be seen as gifts to the community of faith for the maturing of the community so we can learn how to love in light of the differences. Because these differences prevent us from pursuing a form of unity that is really about uniformity and if unchecked and come on now church we have a history of this and particularly in this nation as a church as a large capital c church we have a history of of taking these things and 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 getting rid of the differences so that we can control things and that is the opposite of what the holy spirit wants to do in the people of god these differences among us prevent us from pursuing an understanding of unity that is really uniformity. These differences are something to be embraced. It's not something to overcome. These differences among us are not problems to be set aside or resolved, but as something to be received. The diversity that comes to God's people through the Holy Spirit disruption of Pentecost are important ways of assuring that God's gift of diversity continues and a different kind of unity is produced to a watching world that gets the world's attention. I think Dr. McKnight was right when he said out of looking at Acts that the marks of unity are this, that we listen to the apostles' teaching of Jesus, that we share meals with one another, 
that we sing, pray, confess our sins, and worship God together, that we share resources with one another, that new people enter into this fellowship through the gospel and baptismal identity, and that all of this happens through God's power at work in and among us. Beloved, these differences that exist among us are gifts of beauty. And they can mature our ability to love because we learn to love more freely and fully. We learn to love as a we and not just a me. They can liberate us from ourselves and our need to control and even manipulate others. They can teach us to be compassionate and merciful, just as our Heavenly Father is compassionate and merciful to us. They can teach us to forgive as we've been forgiven. They can teach us to confront the truth rather than deny it and submit it all to the Christ who knows us best and loves us most and liberates us by the truth. What does Jesus say? You'll know the truth and the truth of what? Set you free and then liberate us into a new way of seeing the world, a new way of imagining how the world can be. But if Christians, if we fall for the trap that is set in modern day, current societies, cries for unity, then we will fall outside of the kind of unity that the Holy Spirit longs to create within God's people. Because the kind of unity that society wants us to embrace is a unity that is built in a form of denial, a denial of differences, a denial of our past, a denial of our present, a denial of what is, a denial of what is experienced in the life of the other who doesn't look like me, come from the place I come from, talk like me. It is steeped in a form of denial that will ultimately become our captivity. But in the church, we let it all air out. I used to say to college students when I was a campus minister that if you can't have the most difficult, honest conversations in the church, then tell me where you're supposed to be able to have them. Right? Like if we can't face the realities of the world as it is in light of the way the world should be as a people of God, then where else can we do it? We'll just be held captive to the disagreements. We'll be held captive to the divisions. Divisions and disagreements are settled when disagreements are allowed to surface within the church and we submit those things to Jesus. Division is settled when division is brought to the table of the Eucharist and placed in submission to the community of diversity and difference that exists within the people of God, beloved. It's, it's, when, it's when men and women, it's when those with and those without, it's when those on the margins and those on the center all come together at the table of the Lord where the ground is level, where everybody's voice matters, where everybody's body just as it is matters and embraced just as they are not as we think they should be and then all of that is placed in submission to the rule and the reign of God as revealed in the teachings of the scriptures and what we see in Acts chapter 2 is a summons when the people there said what do we do Peter, what do we do? I mean, we see all this. We've had it wrong. We've killed the Messiah. What do we do? He said in Acts 2, 36 to 38, when they asked, what do we do? He said, repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive, receive, receive the gift. Open up. Open your hands and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who's doing all of this. Beloved, there is a summons to each one of us as individuals. There's a calling for repentance to every heart. There's a calling for the baptism of everyone who repents. There's a calling for all to receive forgiveness and receive the empowered life. There's a calling for the transformation of every life. There is a calling for the surrender of every life to the kingship of Jesus Christ as Lord. And as Peter said in verse 39, this promise is for all generations across time and space and moves through all of society's categories of distinction and belonging. Our baptism marks our primary identity and all other identity markers then become secondary. They're not done away with. We don't all of a sudden start subscribing to economic blindness, to gender blindness, to color blindness, to ethnic blindness. Those realities that exist in our lives are placed secondary and brought into the life of the church so that we learn how to live and love in the midst of them all and then bear witness to the watching world what is possible in a society when Jesus Christ is the king. Do y'all hear that? What is possible in society. All the division. I'm, I'm, I can't stand up. Sorry, Bob. All the division in the world goes away when the people of God embrace the differences that are causing the division outside of the world and place those differences in the life of the community secondary to the lordship of Jesus and then celebrate those differences as a people and speak into those differences so that we all share in a common life. That's the unity. And I think Philemon is a great story that gets us there. But next week, what I want to do is I want to ground this theologically in our baptisms so that we get it straight. Because I've heard too many Christians say, well, let's just, let's just be colorblind. Let's be ethnic blind. Let's be, I've never heard anybody say let's be gender blind. Just the opposite. Um, but but, but, but we, we think that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, when it says that, that all of us are baptized into Christ and we're clothed with Christ and there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. We think the oneness in Christ does away with the identity markers, but it places them secondary and actually lifts them up as expressions of this God who creates diversity, who is about transformation, who offers us a broader and more beautiful way of seeing creation. This God who did not make animals the same, this God who did not make flowers the same, did not make us the same. And anytime the church tries to embrace sameness as an answer to the division, that becomes a church outside of the boundaries of Christian unity. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.